All right. Thank you, Dr. Lon. Uh, always ready to receive some cool swag. Can I get an amen from somewhere, right? So I'll wear the colors proudly. Go Rams. Is that the right thing, right? Go Rams. You guys should have done better, right? Go Rams, right? Let's go, right? So awesome. Okay, so we're, we're glad. this is my third time to be with you, and I'm so glad to be uh, in the house again with you on this last occasion. And as I share with you in this chapel service, um, the last couple of times I've just basically preached a message, but I want to share something in today's chapel that is really, I guess you'd call, a part of what is my life message, my life story, okay? And um, so uh, let me just give you some background on this. So uh, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? So I know there are probably a lot of you in the house that are preacher's kids. And my mom and dad, here's the circumstances of my birth. So my dad was pastoring in Mossgrove, Pennsylvania, which is a little country town, just about an hour south of Erie. And um, I was, uh, you know, ready to be born, and my mother started to have labor pains uh, on Father's Day, which happened to be a Sunday morning in 1964. So the era was a bit different. So here's basically what happened. My mama had labor pains. My dad got her in the car, drove her an hour north to Erie, Pennsylvania, dropped her off at the hospital, left to go back to church and preach the message yeah, so at that time, I guess it was uncommon for a dad to go in the hospital room when the birth was happening anyway, so he figured, well, I'll go back and preach. So he went back and preached, preached the morning service, got back in the car, and I was, I was careful to wait for him to, to come back, and I then was born that afternoon. So on Sunday, after a sermon, I was born, and then we were in church Sunday night. Can I get an amen from somebody? Not quite, not quite, but it sort of felt like that growing up, like we were in church all the time. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it was just a constant. Well, after three years of pastoring in Mossgrove, Pennsylvania, he then moved to a little place outside of Pittsburgh, and he decided to plant a church. And at that time, there weren't a lot of resources for people who had the vision and dream to plant a church. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like the mindset of church planting at the time was, look, if you have a vision, a call to plant a church, you kind of prove your faith by doing it alone. And then if you succeed, we'll celebrate. But, but we're not going to help you out too much because that would ruin your faith development, right? So we're not going to give you any training or any finances. We're just going to see how things work. And so, you know, I'm six months old. They moved into Monroe, Pennsylvania. And the only way that they made it was that there was a local pastor. His name is Pastor Schink. He worked bivocationally. So he was a pastor and also worked in the steel industry. And out of his own pocket... The earnings he made from working in the steel industry, he paid my dad's salary for two years. And the only way we survived in those first two years was because of some older man of God who believed in my dad enough to support him and encourage him and back him up. And that church, Monroeville Assembly, now has grown to over a thousand people and planted several churches and supports missionaries around the world. And I always like to say that if it wasn't for Pastor Schink believing in my father, there would have been no church planted that's made a difference for these some 60 years now, okay? So, so, you know, I feel a responsibility in my life to pay it forward. And a big part of what my calling is as a pastor is not just to lead a church and model what it is to lead a church and reach people for Jesus and disciple people in my location, but my calling has really been to believe in the dreams of other young men and women, 
And so my calling has been to help when somebody shows up and says, I feel like God's called me to do this, is to get behind them and back them up so that when they're sent out, they have encouragement and they have financial support and they have a family to belong to so that when they go do what God's called them to do, they go out with backing. And what that's primarily looked like for us is that we have um, helped get behind 30 uh, church planters over the years to help them plant a church. So we back them up with some money and some coaching and some encouragement and help them go out and do what they do. Here's, here's what I want to say to you today. Everybody needs somebody to believe in them. As you go from this place and into whatever's next in your life, you will need people who see what's in you and will speak faith over you, invest money into you, and back you up. And what I want to say to you is that there is something that God is preparing for you. He has actually got things that's planted in your future, people that will be key people for you to help further and advance the cause of your life, whether you're a pastor or a church planner or a businessman or educator, whatever it is that you do. Along your journey, everybody needs somebody to believe them in them and back them up. And I want to take you to one of my favorite stories in the Scripture. It's found in the book of Acts, and it is, uh, we'll start the journey in Acts chapter 9, and it's two characters that we're going to read about together. Of course, you are students, and you understand history of, of the, the advancement of the church, so I will go into great detail, but we understand that Paul the Apostle, before he came to Christ, was not a follower of Christ at all. He was actually somebody persecuting those who were Christians. And we know his story of salvation happens in Acts chapter 9 where he is on his way to the city of Damascus to try to um, arrest and incarcerate those who were Christ followers. And while he's on his way there, he has the appearance of Jesus and Jesus speaks to him and, and he's blinded by that moment and he ends up in Damascus. And you know the story is that Ananias shows up and prays for him to receive his sight and he gives his life to Christ and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's baptized baptized in water. And then, and then Paul begins his journey, right? He starts to preach. You know, he's trained as a rabbi of sorts, and he begins to preach about how Jesus Christ came to fulfill prophecy, and he's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And, and, and so there's, a, you know, kind of a stir uh, there in Damascus, and then somebody tries to kill him there, so they, he escapes, you know, from that place, and they take him to Jerusalem. And he shows up in Jerusalem, and they introduce him to the apostles. So Peter and James and John and the whole crew, right? And here's what it tells us in, in Acts chapter 9 happens, if you'll put the verse up there for us today. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Makes sense, right? He's, he's been a terrorist to this, this movement, right? He's trying to kill people. and They did not believe he had truly become a believer. And the next verse goes on to say, um, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul, of course, that's what he was known before we, we, we know him as Paul, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Okay, so even the apostles were reluctant to believe in Paul. Think about this now. The guys that had walked with Jesus who had been pulled out of whatever they were a part of before are now looking at this guy and they're thinking, I'm not so sure. You know, we know this guy. We know what he was up to. We know what he was doing. We're willing to believe in him, but why don't we prove him in somebody else's small group first? Before we let him into the inner circle here, we get him too close, we need to have the guys that run security just kind of keep track of this guy because we're not sure what he's really going to be like. And Barnabas, this is the hero in the story. Let me just tell you, I aspire to be like Barnabas. 
Barnabas speaks up for him here, and he says, hey, I'll vouch for this guy. I've watched his life. I've heard his story. I believe it's a genuine conversion. You can hold me accountable. I believe in him. I'll back him up. Now, you understand that Paul goes on to do some amazing things. He's one of the greatest church planners to ever live. He's the first missionary, really, team to go out with Barnabas to, to go across Asia and preach the gospel. Um, a lot of the New Testament is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as Paul, uh, you know, kind of listens to God and he writes down what God is saying to him. And so we benefit from so much of Paul's ministry. But I'll just say this to you. If it wasn't for Barnabas, there may have never been a Paul. Fast forward now, Acts chapter 11, we have this story of um, what what I'll call an accidental church plant, because at this particular time in church history, um, it wasn't yet deemed to be okay to preach the gospel to anybody who was not Jewish. There was almost a thought to say, before you can become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first, so Gentiles have to become Jews, and then they can become followers of Christ. And after the persecution of Stephen, the believers were scattered. They began to run for their lives, and they just, without, without they just couldn't help themselves. They, they continued to tell about Jesus Christ risen from the dead and, and the miracles that he was doing. And so in Antioch, about two hours north of Jerusalem, people started getting saved who weren't Jews. By the hundreds and thousands. And they didn't know what to do with them. So they said, well, I guess we got to, do, to form some kind of church for these people in Antioch, these, these non-Jewish folks who are getting saved. What are we going to, somebody should probably pastor this. So they say, hey, you know, Barnabas is the most high grace guy that we know. Why don't we send him up and he can take over this church? And so he shows up in Antioch and he begins to pastor in Antioch. And here's what it tells us. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord and then listen now, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? Saul, right, same guy. And it says then, next verse, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Paul, so Saul, Paul, same guy, right, has been for three years in his own little university, right? He's been studying in his hometown of Tarsus, and he's been preparing himself by studying the Scriptures and praying and preparing himself. But he's still an unknown. Nobody knows this guy. He hasn't done anything yet. All he is is the former terrorist that, that now has become a Christian, but he's hidden from all, all of light. And there, he's, he's not yet the great church-planting missionary. He's not yet changed the world by writing the books that are a part of the New Testament. None of this has happened yet. Nobody knows his name. He's just, he's just a student in chapel, right? That's all he is. Like He's, he's kind of hidden from sight. Nobody's asking him to speak anywhere. And so Barnabas thinks, okay, I got all these brand new believers that are here, and they don't have Jewish background. They don't really know the Old Testament. I I need somebody to help me. So he goes and finds Saul, right? And he brings Saul, Paul, to, to, to be a part of his team, and they become the teaching team at the church at Antioch. And, and Paul's life and ministry gets launched in this moment because Barnabas took the time to believe in, invest in, and cultivate the ministry of somebody else. Everybody needs somebody to believe in them. That's, that's, the, that's the, what I want to start with. Everybody needs somebody to believe in them. Just so I know you're still awake, can you just say that with me? So repeat, say, everybody needs somebody to believe in them. Yeah. And when you believe in somebody, you activate what God has deposited within their life. So just pause for a moment. Let me just speak to you. I believe the Holy Spirit has brought me here today because some of you in the room need to hear this right here. God has put something in you, 
And it is an unbelievable value. There's so much treasure. There is so much potential. And, and you know it. When, when you get environments where the Holy Spirit's working, you can tell there is something in you that you have to contribute to the world. But a lot of times you question this and you doubt it and you wonder, am I, am I really thinking right? Is this really true? Is this vision that's in my heart really from God? Is this, is this really something that I can expect for my future? And here's what I'm here to tell you, and that's this. When God the Holy Spirit stirs something on the inside of you, he does it on purpose. And listen, he doesn't stir it because you have it all together or you've got it all worked out or you're perfect or you have all the gifts that you need. He doesn't actually call you to do great things because you have all the greatness already developed inside of you. He calls you to great things because you have to depend on him. And when you do, something comes to the surface and you reach, you reach a place where you're like, how did this happen in my life? Because God has deposited something inside of you that the world is yet to see. So I know I don't know you. Some of you I've hung out with because I've been here three times now, but I just want to say the Holy Spirit knows you, and I'm here to represent him for a moment in your life and say what God has deposited in you is something he plans to bring to the surface and bring to fulfillment in your life and future. And someone along the way will activate that. Okay, let me just talk about that. Believing in somebody else activates what God has deposited. A couple of stories here. So about 20 years ago, it was a Wednesday night. It was summertime. Doesn't that sound good, summertime? Oh, don't you wish it would just show up, you know? Winter finally would end. Okay, pause for a moment. Come back now. All right, here we go. All right, Wednesday night, summertime, not that many people in church. Sometimes that happens. We had a Wednesday night prayer gathering. Not that many people came. And it was so nice outside can I just be honest? I didn't want to be there either. I'm the pastor, but I didn't want to go that night. I was like, yeah, I wish I could. I would just like to picnic or hang out or do something, but I got to leave this prayer meeting. Okay, so I went in, and so there was so sparse there in the auditorium that I thought, I don't want to do this all by myself. I'm going to go ahead and spread the, the prayer moments around, and there was this guy that sat in the second row. He came to every, he came to every service, okay? His name was Nick. He came to every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever we had, mission service, revival services, Nick always sat in the same place in the second row. But Nick never did anything but come to church. Like, he was so faithful. I could hear him amening me behind, but he never served. He never volunteered. He never led a group. He just came, but he was just a very faithful churchgoer and the nicest guy in the world, mid-50s. So I said, okay, you know, I'm going to spread this around. I said, hey, we're going to pray. I said, Nick, I want you to lead in prayer. Come on up to the front. And he did this number. Have you, have you, he did like this. I said, Nick, come on. And he did like this. He looked behind him like I was talking to somebody else. You know what I mean? And then, and then I said, no, you, Nick, come on. You've been here forever. You can pray. Come on, come on up. So he gets up to the front, and he grabs the microphone. And this is how it went like this. So as soon as he grabbed the microphone, he began to tremble that you could, like, visibly see the mic shake like this. And he, he steadied himself, but he couldn't. And so he's standing there. There's like 10 people in the room, but he's like shaking like this, okay? So he's, God, he prays and he gets through it and sweat coming down his, uh, you know, and he sits down on the second row and we finish the prayer meeting. And afterward, he comes up to me, he says this. He said, Pastor Jeff, you'll never believe what happened to me. I said, what? He said, when you put that microphone in, the, in my hand and I started to pray, God called me to preach. And I was like, no way. 
and I genuinely meant it because it wasn't a great prayer, honestly. <laughs> it, I was thinking, that is a stretch, man. I don't know. I was like, but it, I didn't tell you, I didn't say that out loud. I was like, all right, Nick, come on now. So he began the process in his mid-50s of going through Global University, got his credentials, and went on to pastor a church for 20 years because I gave him the microphone. Because I gave him the microphone. Can you imagine what got set in motion? Because somebody gave somebody a microphone and said, go ahead and pray. Wow. You see, when somebody believes in you, something that's in you gets activated. It's powerful. Let me tell this one for those who are on staff, the faculty administration. One of the guys I planted a church with, his name is Russ Horn. He was the third of the church plants that we've planted. He was on my staff for a while. He almost never made it into ministry. He had gone to university. He was in his first homiletics class. He got up to preach, and he did poorly, okay? He was nervous. He didn't get through his notes well. And when he was done preaching, he started to walk back to his seat, and he was sitting in the back of the room, walked down the long center aisle, and he said on his way to the seat in the back of the room, he was thinking to himself, as soon as this class is over, I'm going to go back to my dorm room, I'm going to pack my bags, and I'm going to go home because this is evidence that I'm not called to do this. And he said he got to the back of the room, turned around, and as soon as he sat down, his professor stood up and said this, Russ Horn, look at me right here. And he looked up and he said, I got, I got something to tell you. And he said, here's what I want to say to you. Russ, and this is what Russ says, five words that changed my life, you've got what it takes And he said, no, 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 Russ, hear me now. I want you to hear this. You've got what it takes. Don't let anybody tell you different. Don't let any experience back you down. You're called of God. You've got what it takes. And he said that sentence kept him in school, and therefore he finished and ended up in the ministry. One statement of encouragement can change somebody's life. Not because we just puff people up or, you know, just whisper things in people's ears to make them feel good. It's No, no, because you see, when you speak life to somebody, you're actually agreeing with God about what He's deposited on the inside. You see, it's not you projecting something you wish were true for somebody else. It's you agreeing with the Holy Spirit about what He's got going on inside of somebody, and you just bring it to the surface and say, come on now, this is what you're capable of. So here's what I've chosen to spend my life doing. Here's what I do every day. I want to be Barnabas to hundreds and hundreds of young men and women. Every day I wake up, I realize this. My life will not be measured by how big my church is, by how many campuses I have, by how much money I raise for missions, by how many people I can quote on some stat line. Here's what I realize. My life will be measured not by what I do, but what I set in motion by speaking into the life of somebody else. You see, you got to change the scorecard. It's not just about your personal performance or accomplishment. It's about the fact that we're in partnership with Almighty God, and He has deposited something everywhere that He wants to bring to the surface. And just simply speaking life into somebody else can change the world. Think about it. Barnabas said to Paul, come on now. you got something in you. Come help me in Antioch. And, And we are still experiencing the reverberation of that impact. Think about how much credit Barnabas gets in heaven because of what he did for Paul. Everybody that Paul impacted 
now gets credited a portion of that to Barnabas' life. So in heaven, we get treasure. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Can you hear it now? Barnabas continues to accumulate credit in the heavenly realms because of what he did to believe in Paul. And still, 2,000 years ago, it reverberates today because, you see, when you speak life to somebody else, you set in motion something that is a part of the kingdom of God, and that has the capacity to change the world. I love doing this. I actually find that this is where I get my greatest joy and my greatest peace. And let me just say, you don't have to be my age to start believing in somebody. Why not start now? Why not be the life-giving student, the life-giving professor, the life-giving administrator, the life-giving pastor, the life-giving business person all around you every day? And you know what? You know what? Here's the deal. Most people walk around all day a little down. Most people have their head down. They wonder, I don't know. Am I in the right place? <laughs> am I with the right people? Am I, am, I, am I pursuing the right thing? Did I miss God? Is this really what he wants me to do? I'm not really sure, but it's deposited within them. There's something of great value. And so it's, it's all about now beginning to say, okay, God, use me today. I want to wake up today, and I want to be a part of making a difference in somebody else's life. One word of encouragement can change someone's whole destiny and direction. You know, again, this is now, I guess, 15 years ago, one of the students that came out of North Central University, very talented part of the worship fabric here at the time, was a part of, you still have this group called One Accord? That worship, One Accord? Okay, yeah. So, did I get that right? I say that right? Okay. So, Dave, Dave was part of One Accord here, and he had to drop out of school because he got diagnosed with a disease that affected his muscular system. So he couldn't, Dave couldn't function anymore. So he's a guitar player, piano player, but he couldn't lift his hands above his waist because of his problem. So he couldn't play guitar, he couldn't sing, he couldn't play piano. Had all of this gifting in him, but was sidelined. And when he came home to Pittsburgh, um, you know, he's just attending church and just broken. I mean, just all of his friends are back here, <laughs> and his dream is here, and he's close to graduating, and he's got all this potential, and now his, his body's quit on him, and they didn't know what, how to diagnose it, how to correct it, and eventually they figured it out, and they put him on medication, and it, it involved him getting stronger, but slowly, so every week he'd get a little stronger and a little stronger and a little stronger. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to say to Dave, I know you can barely hold the guitar, but I want you up on stage. And I want you, even if you have to fake like you're playing, to be part of the team. So he reluctantly agreed and got strong enough to where he could play and then eventually strong enough that he could sing, but his voice was so weak he could hardly stay on pitch. And then he got strong enough after a little while where he could work part-time. We brought him on part-time. And then after a little while, he came on full-time. And now David Santa Stephen is one of the great worship leaders across our country. He has a blog, David Santa Stephen blog. He, he has actually helped us write and arrange and record four of our live albums. And I mean, just a, an amazingly gifted guy. And I know for him, a big moment was somebody saying, I know what's in you. <laughs> I know what's in you. Right now, you can't manifest what's in you because you're not strong enough, but I know what's in you. And we're not going to give up on you until what's in you comes to the surface. Because you see, 
everybody needs somebody to believe in them. And when you believe in somebody else, you actually activate what God has deposited in them to go to the next level. And if you spend your life doing that, your life will be measured not by what you do, but by what you set in motion in somebody else. And I'd like us to stand across this place right now, and here's what I want to do. I want to operate with the Holy Spirit in this moment to, say it like this, sort of prophetically call out in you what God has deposited there. I know I can't do it in a personalized way like what Russ Horn got from his professor. I, I, I don't know you that well. I, I realize that it's a, it's a church moment, so how much can happen in this particular moment? I'm speaking to a whole group, but here's what we agree with. Here's what I want you to just understand. The Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you now have the ability to have this divine moment of connection where the Spirit of God can say through me something that, that just says on the inside of you, yes, yes, yes. All right, so, so here's what I want us to do. Just turn your face toward heaven right now, and I just want to speak over you. I just want to speak over you for a moment, okay? I want to speak in faith. I, in the name of Jesus now, I declare that the vision and dream that God has put in your spirit would not be quenched by doubt or the lies of the enemy. I bind the forces of darkness over your life in the name of Jesus, and I activate what God has deposited there in his name. I pray right now for the wave of his presence to hit your life, for God to now birth in you fresh vision that even as you walk throughout this day, you would have surging on the inside of you something that would say, yes, God, I believe you called me to this. I believe this is my destiny. And so I just declare in the name of Jesus, now may what God has put in your life be released into its fullest potential in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, if you believe there's something you need to step into in faith, like you say, yeah, that, that was for me right there. I need, I need to agree with that. Would you just lift your hands to heaven right now if you just say, yeah, that's me. Holy Spirit, I agree, I agree. Have your way in me. Like, like Mary said to Gabriel, may it be unto me even as you said, oh Lord. So here we are, God. We just, we just declare this together. In the name of Jesus. Before we pray a prayer of dismissal, I'd like us to go back into that last song we sang. Can we just sing that together, Evelyn, if you lead us? Yeah. Just lift your hands now across this place.